Hello everybody out there in podcast land. It's me, it's Gary Stuckey. Welcome back to another episode of Real Music and another interview with the lead singer of Walking Papers. That's right, Jeff Angel is here talking about their brand new album. It's called The Light Below. Man, awesome songs, cool videos. Go check them out. Just released it. I mean, it is fresh. It is ready to go. Go check it out. Talks about Duff McKagan today. You know, his former bandmate. You might know that guy from Guns N' Roses. Little band. You may have heard about him. I don't know. And uh, some life subjects. You know, I mean, this podcast, this episode does not hold back from, you know, you learning about things. And it's kind of deep. You know, everything that Jeff tells you, you need, need to get a piece of paper, maybe write it down. You might learn a few things, even about Gene Simmons when he talks about him at the end. So get some popcorn, pen and paper, you know, pull up a chair and just enjoy. Here's Jeff Angel. Hello, this is Gary. Gary? Yes. Jeff Angel here. Jeff Angel. How's it going? Oh, yeah. You all right? Yeah, I'm considering the circumstances. Yeah, considering all this pandemic stuff and not being able to tour and right. What so what you been doing with your life? Uh, making videos and writing more songs and uh, you know uh, seeking counseling. For hey. My <laughs> <family>. <laughs> hey, that's it. That's that's the important thing. Seek counseling. I always remember that. Hey, it, it makes for some good music, right? If you, if you, you know, if you need help or something, you can turn it into a song, I guess. Yeah, well, making records is easy. Making time to make records is hard. So right now, everybody seems to have a lot of time. Yeah, that's what somebody was saying the other day. It's like, there's going to be like, you know, millions of albums released this year. <laughs> it's like, I can't buy all these albums. There's so many. Uh, and speaking of which, yeah. you've got a brand new album, right? It just came out, right? We do. Just came out. CDs were delayed due to COVID, so they won't even come out till this week. Oh, okay. And uh, so, and the name of the album is "The Light Below." So, what is the what does that mean? What does the title mean? "The Light Below." Um, the light below. It actually kind of came from this imagery of kind of. Like, have you seen the movie The Coen Brothers, The Hudsucker Proxy? I haven't seen that, uh, but I, ah, it's pretty good. Pretty is it good? good. I need, so to, old, I, I, need so, but, uh, I was gonna say it, it sounds familiar. I guess I have to go check that out. Yeah, it was right before the Big Lebowski. It was oh, okay, pretty good. okay. But, um, there's this kind of scene in there where this guy's, you know, throws himself out of a window or something. He's falling down, and you could kind of see that below you. But I kind of had this idea, like, you know, like if you were. I don't know if you were elevating or something, you know, there's, it's like if you could see the city or the world below, beneath you kind of thing, like an out of body experience kind oh, of thing. Okay. And it was from some kind of song or something. And then Ben, uh, the keyboard player liked it. And so he was like, can we call it that? And I was like, all right, let's call it that. Awesome. And we didn't put much thought into it. But then when we did the album cover, the album cover was shot on a copy machine. Okay. And, Interestingly enough, those the light comes from below on the coffee machine. Hey. So you know, this things we just knew synchronatically, things were working. Right. You you could have named it Xerox or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did have a song called "The Value of Xerox," 
but yeah. we changed it to the value of zero. There you go. That would be better. <laughs> it sounds better. Yeah, it sounds a lot better. Um, and so you're in Seattle, and or the the Seattle area, I guess. And you, so when you were growing up, though, before the grunge scene, who who did you listen to growing up? Well, the grunge scene was what half of what I was growing up. But before that, it was kind of like uh, my first obsession was the police when i was like in third grade and then it went into uh then one of my brother's friends introduced me to black sabbath which then i was like wait that's the stuff i really want to hear because i was an angry young kid and then uh then i started you know certain bands i liked a lot you know your standard acdc black sabbath that kind of stuff and then uh then uh I started, uh, I guess you too probably started making some good records and I started going, wait, not everything had to ha- has to have loud guitars. And then yeah. I started listening to like the, the Colt and the Cure. And, uh, about that time, you know, Guns N' Roses came out, which was good for me because I'm all the spandex kind of heavy metal guys. I was like, that ain't my thing. Right. So I was like, where in Guns N' Roses, I was like, this is like me and all my pals. We all got holes in our jeans and dirty tennis shoes and right you know, uh, greasy hair. And I was kind of like, that's more of kind of fit our kind of vibe right? or who we, uh, our lifestyle or who we resonated as people or whatever. And then some girl I knew her older sister was dating a guy named Mike star. So she took us to her younger sister and me to go see one of their concerts. And I saw them play with uh, mother love bone at Kent skate King awesome. in about 1988. Wow. And, uh, I was just, Right then, I was just like, oh, I guess I always thought you had to grow up and move to L.A. to be in a band. But when I saw that, I was like, we can do this right here. So I started writing my own songs immediately. And I started jamming with some, finding some kids around my neighborhood that played and put together a little band. Awesome. And and you were like right in the middle of all that uh, explosion in Seattle, right? So you had a... Uh, Yeah, I mean, I witnessed it. I witnessed it very firsthand. I had a good fake ID. (laughs) <laughs> I went down to the DMV with my an older friend's expired ID and said I lost my new one. Can I get another one? And they got me a new one with my picture on it. So uh, I had a fake were... ID at fifteen. Wow! And I was the, <laughs> and uh, I was a lanky tall guy, so you know I was a uh, already like six foot tall. So I think right. that helped me seem believable. You know? Right. Yeah, I think so. And, and I had kept your hair in your face. You know. Right. But uh, so yeah, so I got to witness it all. But I was a little too young to be mature enough musically or as a person. I mean, I could play guitar pretty good, but I didn't know who I was or what I was doing. So at first, there was a lot of imitating the people that I admired before I started to find a thing of my own. Okay. Well, uh, so you you got to work with Duff McKagan though on your first album. How was that? And did you ever think when you were listening to Guns N' Roses, I'll be playing with the the bass player? you know, one day, you know, I mean, did you ever no, think about that? Never, never thought that. <laughs> I mean, I love their band and wore out a couple copies of their records. It was perfect. You know, they, they dropped the F bomb a lot in it, which <laughs> resonated really well with my 12 year old. Um, so when I saw them, uh, I met Duff had seen, I used to have this band called postpartum depression and we did pretty well locally, but then we, t- would tour around and go to LA and different places. Like our, 
really like our audience was guys like Duff or Steve Jones from Sex Pistols and, you know, uh, yeah. Josh Homme from Queens of Stone Age saw us and took us on the tour and things like that. So these, we were kind of like had all these celebrity fans, right? right? Which was great because it was really validating to know that other, the people we looked up to liked us. So yeah. Duff had invited me to uh, try out for Velvet Revolver. So then I was down there jamming with Izzy slash Matt Sorum and Duff, oh, wow. and we recorded a couple songs in the rehearsal that we did with them. But I didn't, uh, I didn't spill the beans when they got the Scott guy. I didn't take my tapes and make copies, and I didn't go oh. and try to gain anything from it. Okay. So I kind of respected their their privacy, and I yeah. think by respecting their privacy, we became you know he figured this guy's all right to as a friend, you know. Yeah. And then, uh, so we always just kind of stayed in touch through the years. So, um, when our, um, when we were making the first walking papers record, he had, um, I just called him naturally. It wasn't like, Hey, let's call Duff. I wasn't nervous. I was just like, let's get Duff down here to play some bass, Yeah, you know? Right. And so I was, it wasn't really out of the ordinary. We just kind of always hung like that. And then, um, when it came time to, uh, tour for the record he was like guys i'm not doing anything right now and i think this record's great and I'd, I'd love to come support it with you guys and if we could uh you know maybe my connections will open some doors and stuff and they very much did so and i'll forever be grateful great guy and uh of course when he got had to get back in guns and roses it kind of threw things for a loop but actually as a real friend i just knew that was the right thing for him to do and i'm so so happy for him to be back where he should be yeah well uh Talk a little bit about the uh, the album and the songs on there, like uh, Divine Intervention. I was watching the video last night, and that's a cool video. How did you come up with that idea for the video? Uh, we just kind of let creativity take hold of the reins. Uh, we were doing a photo shoot, and we knew we had to make a video for it. And then the photo shoot was in front of that marquee, and I was just like, hey, man, just film me singing the song a couple times. And so they did, and then we were like, Hey, maybe we should rent a room in here. And then I was like, my friend's got a cool car. And we just started putting it together. And then we had some ideas like, you know, what if you were driving the car and you were, how about you run from the car? You know, right. you weren't trying to run yourself over. And it just kind of really, there was no like treatment or no grand idea. It was more like we saw an opportunity and we just capitalized on it. And, you know, with me and my creative friends, we just kind of made it up as we were going. And it, yeah that we just kept putting energy into it and it got bigger and bigger and I'm really couldn't be more happy with how it turned out. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And I've been listening to the songs and from the album, they, they sound great. Um, and, uh, and you've got like a, I guess like an instrumental, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, stand, stood up at the gates of heaven. That's right. Stood up at the gates of heaven. Does that, that kind of, does that kind of go along with the yeah. song? Is that why you had it in the video? I know it's two separate songs on the, uh, album, but so why don't you put those together? Well, when we recorded it, we recorded it as one piece because often we go on tour and then, uh, we have a song and the songs kind of mature on tour after you played them. So we wanted to, approach this record with kind of the idea of like what would the songs that we're about to record sound like in two years and so we were like well we'd probably be blending some of them together we would probably vamp out some endings and beginnings and so we approached the record that way and uh we recorded the two songs together as one piece 
and we really liked that and kind of got lost in it. You know, it's all together. It's like 12 and a half minutes or yeah. something when we're doing it. And it's really kind of like meditative to play the song. And if people listen to the song and they just let themselves go there, it kind of has a healing kind of quality yeah. to it. So that's, yeah, I was noticing that. Is yeah. it, it's like a spiritual type. It's got like spiritual overtones in there. I, I was noticing. Is that, was that a certain idea of, of what you were trying to do as far as lyrically, where that was going? Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of that going in my uh, in my life lately. I lost a couple of friends over the last mm-hmm. few years, and I kind of feel like I'm still having a conversation with them, and I uh, thought it was kind of a testimony of, yeah. I was just, basically, I just use music as therapy. I write songs for my own therapy if I'm dealing with uh, something or relationship or uh, friendship or some shady thing that happened in my past or something like I'm just trying to figure myself out and the songs yeah. help me do that. Yeah. You know, that's a good one. Um, yeah. And also, I also had this thing too. It's like, uh, you know, a lot of stuff's happening so fast right now, but a lot of music has a hypnotic kind of, uh, you know, a way to kind of sustain euphoria or something. And, yeah. um, but if everything's happening so fast and everything all the time and you just get pummeled with something, it's hard to kind of be hypnotized by music and music has a really hypnotic quality but you can't just pull out a stopwatch and say hey look at my watch now dance like a chicken you know you need some time to to let someone kind of get in the mood before you can actually get a message across them you know yeah no i agree that and that's i think that's a perfect example on that song and that video it's kind of it kind of lures you in but yeah it's it's awesome good stuff uh and uh thank you yes sir and uh, you got uh, Dean DeLeo, right, helping you out? Yeah, we did a tour with us. I met uh, a couple of those guys through the grapevine over the years, and then uh, some fr- a friend of mine introduced me to them, and then they liked the music that I was making. They were I did the Static Land record before this record, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently Eric Kretz was a big fan of that record, and so he introduced me to the other guys, and then they... Uh, just became kind of friends and when we did the tour we they, that's why they invited us on tour and then we were on tour we just bonded even more and they were super those guys are hoot awesome. so we got along with those guys really well and then uh same thing like duff i was just like hey man we're making this record and i'm kind of sick of listening to myself play guitar you want to play on here and he was like yeah of course send it down and then a couple of days later it showed back up with his parts on it and um we just added it to what we were doing awesome and uh, how do you think, though, your music has evolved over the years when you're playing? Do you ever go back and listen and go, I kind of do this differently now, or I, I'm more this way? How does that affect you? Well, I think I get better at it all the time because I think I, you know, you learn things about what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And uh, some <laughs> some song, I can't listen to a record after I make it for a couple years oh, really? and hear it correctly. I'm yeah, because when I listen to it, when I'm, I've already heard it so many times when I wrote the songs, and then when I'm recording them, and then when I'm mixing them, and by the time I'm done, you know, I, I listen to it for about a week or two, and then I just hear, like, I would have changed this, I would have done that, or I, maybe that should have been slower, maybe that should have been faster, or I should have sang that, that lyric should have been different. Right. And so you're still working on it, you know, you don't really finish the songs, you just kind of abandon them, and then so when you wait a little while and you listen to them you can actually hear them like a listener would yeah. you know all that baggage and all those 
you know, I, I don't know, those hang-ups are gone, yeah, you know? Right. And so uh, when you listen to them, there is sometimes there's some painful experiences. <laughs> and, you know, usually that pain, you, you're like, I don't ever want to have that pain again. Yeah. So you kind of grow from that and make them better. But I actually feel like uh, all the records that I've made it, starting with the post-stardom records and then the missionary position and uh, walking papers, I'm really kind of bummed that they're not, all have the same band name or something so everybody could connect them and see the evolution but they could right. dig it up if they want but yeah but it, i'm really proud of everything i did because even the records that are old and painful i think are uh, a honest reflection of who i was at that time right. you know right. but where sometimes i never any of the records that i put out fortunately i think i kind of already knew who i was at least at that time and have evolved since then so the guy that i was when i was 20 seven and started making records 26 or 27 because i got a little sidetracked with some <laughs> things before that <laughs> but uh when i was making those records it's like i knew i had myself pretty well figured out and at that time i was very you know angry at, or whatever and you know it was like watching an ugly wind up on the pitcher you know with a yeah, pitcher he's right. i got the ball across the plate yeah. but it didn't look pretty right. you know and then as i got older I think it, uh, I still think there's a beauty in that, you know, a beauty in watching someone figure themselves out. So what's rough about it, I kind of enjoy. And I, I love how arrogant and confident, which is also kind of inexperienced and stupid <laughs> that I was at that time. Right. And now I think I'm, ex now I'm experienced and stupid. So hey, there you go. I'm in a better position I, now. I can relate yeah. to that. Um, so, <laughs> so, and, and you like to relate to the fans. I'm sure the fans, you know, listening and they listen to the new album, they, they can listen, you know, and remember some of their pain and, and the things they're going through, I guess. Is that what you think that the fans, that's why they really like what you do is because of what you've been through and those words, how you put it in words. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some kind of conversation, and I think different fans get different things out of the, the record. But in a, you know, I think that there's a sense of humor in there, too, you know? Yeah. This record's a little darker than some of our other records, and yeah. we intended to make it that way. We wanted to, like, indulge in ourselves a little bit. Right. And, uh, but I, I do think that... What someone said is, if there's not a conflict, it's like, in a story... If there's not a conflict, it's like writing on a paper with a white pen. Right. You know? Yeah, that's... There's no story without conflict. So, to me, I feel like I'm an optimistic person, and but I feel like I focus on the negative things because they need the attention. The positive things are already taking care of themselves, you yeah, know? That's good. So, sometimes in the songs, I kind of tend to focus on the darker subject matter, and I think that you know, a lot of people are trying to figure that out for themselves too. And so maybe they can relate to someone else figuring it out, but I don't pretend to know what they think or want to guess, at, you know, I just glad that they listen because I, I hope that they come up with their own ideas and it, or it inspires their imagination. Right. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of imagination, you know, when I guess the, like the song, uh, the value of zero and, uh, what did you expect? Things like that. It kind of takes you to a place and you're, it, you know, it's like real, there's a lot of imagery, I guess, in there, you know, and I guess that's what's so cool about it. I guess the music kind of fits with that whole attitude, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, I think, well, I appreciate that, but I, I think that, uh, you know, you want to leave and a person's imagination is better than anything you're going to put in to the song. Right. So I think in the song, what you want to do is trigger their imagination. Right. You know, if you make it too right on the head and on right on the point, it, it's probably kind of after one listen, they're going, yep, I get that one, you know, yeah. but if you trigger their imagination and you give them like their own little emotional or mental puzzle to figure out, I think, and at the same time, you're hitting some vibrating some chakras with the harmonic qualities of music, you know, then I think that at that point, it's really a collaborative effort between the songwriter and the listener. You know, you're kind of collaborating on this thing. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, I think in the song you say, uh, you said, trust no one question everything. Is that like, do you really believe in that statement in, in your life? Yeah, I don't even trust myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I was reading some book called The Blank Slate. Uh-huh. And in the book, it was just saying that everything we are from even before we were born in the womb, you know, there's people that have PTSD from maybe their parents were drug addicts or they were in a car accident or right. they experienced a traumatic thing. So a person could have PTSD from before they were even born. Wow. So we're kind of we're not a blank slate. Everything that we know and everything that we think some are is by our own experiences and this and that, but a lot of it is like pre-programmed. Like if you go to Eastern Europe, they play minor chords and those are their happy songs right? and their major chords are their sad songs because that's what their environment created. You come to America and it's the opposite because that's, right. that's our environment, you know, certain notes that are dissonant in our culture are actually, you know, standard in other cultures. So, we don't, everything that we think and everything we do is by some outside of environment. So I like this idea of like, you know, who's trying to sell you something yeah. and what is an actual thought? What is your own personal truth? Because if you can find that, you know, you're going to uh, resonate yeah. in the universe. And so I think listening, taking someone else's word for it, especially with all the things that... Oh. 24-hour yeah. news cycle oh. and everyone's opinion on Instagram and, and exactly. everything like that. It's like you can't trust you can't no. trust them, no. but you can question it, and you might find out they're right. That's but right. you might find out they're wrong, but you better start asking yourself some questions or you're going to be just led around like a bull from a nose ring, Ex- you know? Exactly. That That's a good way to look at it, and I think everybody needs to look at life like that because you can't just trust people because that's the popular thing that they're telling you, you know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, what, what is facts or what my friend posted the other day, RIP facts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And so right. some of these things, like if someone looks at trust, no one question everything. They're like, Oh, he must have his heart broken by some, you know, <laughs> yeah, witchy right. woman. And yeah, I'm not right. even talking about that. I'm just talking about like on the bigger scheme of things beyond, interpersonal relationships like you know how it's like a survival yeah. in the world is you better ask yourself some questions that, you know well that that's a good way to uh to look at things and and to take you know things in and uh in this album though if some if you could set, describe like the you know i don't know like the the topic of this whole album and in a collection what would you say this album is um, I think it's a cinematic album, but I do intentionally focused mostly on kind of like uh, 
thoughts and like, you know, are we using our brain as a tool or is our brain pulling us around like we're tied to the back of some wild horses, you know? (laughs) And so it's, it's a lot about like where you're, you know, are you controlling your brain or is your brain controlling you? Right. You know, and because you, you know, my personal brain is bouncing around between so many ideas all the time. It's really, I'm trying to work on figuring out how to, uh, do less things better. Yeah. You know, yeah. rather than being a, I, I feel like a plate spinner on one leg on a, you know, walking a <laughs> balancing wire sometimes in my life, right. trying right. to keep all the plates spinning. I'm trying to find a way to like let some of those plates drop and kind of focus on what's most important to me and figure out what that is. That's, I, I know. So maybe this yeah. record's a therapeutic, maybe it's a therapeutic record, you know? Hey, I, I think it's therapeutic for you and for everybody listening. I think they'll really enjoy it. And, uh, um, but you know, like you were saying, you know, everything's going on in your life and like the world, the way it is. And I know as a creator of music, you probably have all this stuff building up. Like you have to create, do you feel like that? Like I've got to create something. I've got to record. I got to write. I got to do something creative or I won't be able to function. Are you like that? I'm totally, I'm, I get pretty dreary if I don't have something to work on. You know, sometimes that's the only point, you know, there's no point in working on it for like, I don't, you know, sometimes my wife would be like, you know, I don't understand. You're really good. Where's your big break? You know, I don't, why don't people listen to that? Which I'm like, yo, you're sweet. (laughs) But then I'm like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. I mean, it's great. It's frosting when people are into what you're doing and you get to see some other countries and tour around, or maybe you get a paycheck here and there. But to me, I've had times to where I'm not able to create because there's other things that are going on and I get kind of depressed. Like I just need a project. So sometimes, you know, it's like some of these projects, like working on your lawn or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like some of these things you're just doing because you have to do something. And I feel like doing something that actually leaves some kind of record that, that I did something. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be some, uh, and you know, I've also, I've been a carpenter most of my life. That's how I've always paid my bills when music mm-hmm. wouldn't, right. you know? Right. And, uh, so I've built a lot of things and built houses and hundreds, you know, as a framing contractor. And so I can see, you know, looking at a foundation and then you walk away and then you see this thing and it, there is a certain satisfaction in that of like, you know, I could think about all sorts of things while I'm doing it. But some, for some reason, although that's great and some people go live in it, I just feel like songs somehow for me, I feel more proud of those and yeah. of that accomplishment. But I think both, if I'm not doing something, whether it's building something or writing a song or doing something like that, I get really stir crazy and I probably, it's better for all of society that I have something to keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. That's probably true in a lot of cases, I guess, for people. Um and do you ever uh, just think, you know, about like your recordings and things you've done? Are, are you like me? Are you like your own worst critic when it comes to stuff like that? Totally. I'm the worst. You know, no one can crit- critique me worse than I can myself. I heard uh, I'm not a huge. I like a lot of hip hop, but I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan. Right. Um, but my one of my daughters was listening to the Eminem Machine Gun Kelly beef. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, in the response, Eminem's response to the song was something about like, 
you're wasting your time picking on me because I'm already <laughs> no one can diss me worse than I diss myself. That's right. You know, that's true. And that's kind of how that's how I look. If you're if you're a perfectionist, you're going to always be disappointed because perfection's a receding target. Right. That's right. And you can't please everybody. And you know, I, I learned stuff like that. You know, you might think this is great, but this guy might think it sucks you know but it doesn't matter just as long as you believe in yourself you know and you're happy with it it don't matter if 10 million people or 10 people like it it's all about if you're happy with it and uh yeah and you know what when that guy thinks it sucks he's right yeah <laughs> because to him <laughs> it does suck yeah that, i mean yeah it doesn't matter sucks. about what yeah you think it, it's according to him that's yeah it doesn't matter what it is um that's his truth, and it does matter what you think, because if you start letting his thoughts control your that's world, right. you're in a lot of trouble. Exactly. You know? And that's what, I mean, like you were saying earlier, you got to do stuff, you know, you're doing it for your joy. You know, it, it would be cool, like you said, icing on the cake if you had, you know, millions of people checking out your stuff and liking it and all positive, you know, but that that's not the world we live in. We don't live in everything's going our way kind of a world. You know, we just have to do what we do and be happy that we do it. And hopefully somebody out there likes what we do, right? Yeah. And there's always those, like that video, you can go watch 30,000 people watch it or 30 in a couple of weeks. There's always those four thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Exactly. You ever want to find those people yeah. and just like egg their house or something? I don't know. Just I don't know. Just think. <laughs> no, I actually want to go to their house and give them a hug. Poor bastards. If that's the only satisfaction. <laughs> they must have a really horrible life. I've never pushed the thumbs down on a video in my life. You know what I mean? I, I, I just like if I had a thumbs down, I'd be like, "Why? Have you done it? Have you done it?" I I, I got a channel and I and I get some thumbs down. I'm thinking, but I, I bet you it's the same people that are like it's. Well, it's that time of the month. I'm gonna put a th thumbs down on his channel now. You know, like they didn't have nothing yeah. else to do. S somebody put a thumbs down. I was looking at a Sam Cook video and, and they put a thumbs down. I'm thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> Why would you yeah, put a thumbs? Down? This guy. <laughs> He's just pissed because he's deaf. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be deaf, or he's, he he needs to get a life. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I won't hold you, but uh, I was going to ask you this one last thing here. Uh, Gene Simmons, Please. Gene Simmons, you know the guy, Gene Simmons? Of, yeah. Of Kiss, he said rock and roll is dead. What do you say about that? I think Gene Simmons is so full of himself that he thinks <laughs> just because he's about to be dead that, that it can't live without him. But that right. is, rock and roll will never die. Rock and roll is the sound of freedom. And just like, you know what? Here's the thing. At some point in the 1940s, you had a jazz band that had Dizzy Gillespie, yeah. uh, Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker, right. and Miles Davis playing in a club of about 40 to 80 people. Right. Right? Right. And then, and jazz before that was the hugest thing in the world with all these orchestra with Duke Ellington and right. you know, Count Basie and these kind of things. Right. And then it went through a lull. But then the guys that are actually the giants of jazz were actually making that music at the kind of at the bottom of jazz yeah. has jazz died no yeah. now it's just considered a national art form and you know and it's like it's still inspiring kids all over the world yeah but you know now granted i thought kiss was you know they had a cute barbie collection you know what i mean <laughs> and when i was a kid 
we used to play Kiss Cards, and I thought they were superheroes. But, you know, they've made a couple cool songs, but this whole, like, greatest band in the world, yeah, maybe you want to talk to the Rolling Stones, or maybe you want to, you know, get that conversation going on with, you know, some bands like Gene's Addiction or, you know, or Alice in Chains or Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin. And look, who really is the greatest rock and roll band of all time? And it sure the hell ain't Kiss. Right. Although, I did hear Paul Stanley has a new soul record. That's cool. And how fun... Uh, how fun that must be for him to not have to be dealing with the tyranny of that other guy all the time. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've heard some stuff and read some stuff about how, you know, he is and everything, which I, I always liked the band, you know, but I was thinking about it the other day. I guess he's got this certain attitude he's got. A lot of people don't like that. And I think it affects the way people look at you. But if you, like you said, if you think rock and roll is dead, I, it, it it would take somebody pretty big to say that, and he's not big enough to say that, and it's not. Yeah, it's still going. The, the, the rock and roll. Well, and he's a, yeah, still around. Yeah, he's a thumb. Gene Simmons is a giant thumbs down. You know, what I mean, <laughs> not for me. I mean, that's what he goes around. Is he's just trying to piss on other people's parade because he wants to stir the drink. You know what I mean? That's right. how he gets. We wouldn't be having this conversation about Gene Simmons right now, except for he said that negative complex. So some people, if they can't get an attention for something positive, they have to get it from something negative. That's it. So that's what he's doing. And you know what? He don't need to do that. So why don't he go get, he needs to listen to our record, give himself go. some therapy and try to try to make himself a better person because he's like, why is he going around pissing on other people's party? You know what I mean? Right. I might yeah, keep I'll that, have to quote you know, that. I'm going to quote that and, and, and tag him on uh, Twitter and see what he said. What do you say? Yeah, and he'll say, you know, rock and roll, because rock and roll is not feeling coliseums, you know, if, yeah. if that does not mean it's dead. And guess what? If, if food's value was based on who sold the most food, then McDonald's is the healthiest, best food that was ever made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So if he, if his kind of rock and roll, you know, and tell you the truth his rock and roll is similar to mcdonald's you know what i mean you got base and who's who's the you got a clown that's the mouthpiece for both of them right. so <laughs> quote me on that if you want wow that's, and he that's, can come and he can come and pick on me but i'm i'm free of being picked on because i'm i'm getting my joy whether i'm making my music in my basement for nobody or for the people that like it and you know what if you like kiss i find him entertaining exactly. yeah. but to me they aren't the mouthpiece for rock and roll right on that note, but uh, who doesn't like fire breathing? Who doesn't I, like it's, who doesn't like fire breathing? And it's cool. And the they, four hot chicks playing guitar. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. With the high heels and everything. I, I, I yeah. always, like I said, I always liked them. Not a big fan of the attitude, though. I think the attitude kind of ruins it sometimes for people. And I think, I think you got to have both. I think you got to, you know, look at yourself and go, you know, I'm just a regular guy we all live together in this world i'm no better than you are you know and and you know that's just yeah. you know that's the way it should be you know but yeah that's but that was a very cool uh conversation i'll have to quote but uh <laughs> see what everybody else thinks yeah. but uh yeah it was a lot of fun well i'm i'm looking forward yeah, I'm, uh, to uh everything yeah, to, to, well i'm looking forward to the people's reaction to your music because i've i've enjoyed listening to it and i know people are gonna really love this album the light below i know they're gonna love it well thank you so much and i uh it was made with a lot of love and we're definitely hoping people will join us on the trip and have a listen and uh hoping everybody's out there 
safe and healthy and all that. All right. Even Gene. I want Gene. I even <laughs> want him to be ha- happy and healthy. That's right. More, more than most people, I want him to be happy. Exactly. Why don't he get happy? There you go. Listen, Rock and rolling, and, dead, and, buddy. Yes. And listen to this album, Gene. Listen to Walking Papers, The Light Below. Thank you so much, Jeff, for, for calling in. I appreciate you. Uh, likewise. Thanks, Gary. You have a great day. All right. You too, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another podcast episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Had a great time talking to Jeff. And if you'd like to donate to this podcast to help keep it going, you can click on the support button and give any amount that you like. I would appreciate it so much. Thanks so much. And then, you know, you can share this episode and all my episodes if you like. That helped me out, too. Tell everybody about it. Gary Stuckey, Real Music. That's right. And let everybody know, got some awesome guests that have been on the show. And I'm expecting some more cool people that's going to be talking very soon. So tell everybody, share it. And thank you. And until next time, everybody, whatever you do, don't stop believing.